do something interactive that creates a special moment that people want to create that memory with their friends or their family in that property. And then secondly, if you can create cool, cool areas around the house, like outdoor spaces are huge. If you can add a hot tub or even just a fire pit with some pavers and some string lighting, you know, you're selling the experience, sell the ambiance, not just, you know, what's at the property. Is it a nice place or not? Um, because people want to take photos and take videos on their phone and show everybody else, look what I'm doing. This is The Fighting Entrepreneur, the podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to change the world. Learn how to start, build, and scale a business in today's highly competitive business environment. Here's your host, The Fighting Entrepreneur, Anik Singhal. What's up, you crazy fighting entrepreneurs? Guess who it is, your favorite person in the whole wide world, Anik Singhal, back with another episode, and today's is an amazing episode. I'm super excited because, um, as I was joking earlier, I felt like I've got a celebrity on my episode today because this is an individual that I have been following for a couple of months now on TikTok. I watch all his videos because he talks about a topic that I find very interesting. And I don't just listen, I take action. I've actually gone ahead and done the, the no, I can't necessarily say I've done it exactly how he's teaching it. I wanna learn more about that, which is why he's here today. But Airbnb, we're hearing all about it, Airbnb's killing it in their earnings, everyone's staying at Airbnbs, everyone's building Airbnbs. What is going on? Is it still an opportunity? Is there still something going on? So our guest today makes $30,000 a month on Airbnb and uh, he's, he's doing it with just four properties. Uh, so we're gonna start asking, we're gonna ask him all kinds of questions, okay? So first we're gonna start with learning about his story and then we're gonna, then we're gonna talk, you know how I do, I get detailed you know, I get into the weeds of like, how is this strategy working? So make sure you watch the entire episode. We'll get into all of that. Now, full disclaimer, everybody, I bought my first property that as of the day I'm filming this, right? So I don't know when this releases, but as of the day I'm filming it, it's been now up for rent for like five days max. And um, in those five days, we've already booked like 43 nights. Um, that's pretty freaking cool. Like the first day we listed it, the, the, the bookings just came running. I mean, that's, it, it felt as good as when I had first started my online business. I made my first dollar, right? Cause you hear all these people talk about it and you're like, I think they're all out to get me. This is all a big ruse to like scam me into buying a property and listing it on Airbnb. But then suddenly you start getting bookings. And you're like, oh my God, it works. However, as joyful as that is, some things have come up that you only learn by doing. And so I want to ask our guest today about those because it was like a little concerning to me now that I'm actually doing it. But um, my goal this year on the record is to buy a few properties to, do, to then do Airbnb with them. So that's why I have him here today. Um, like I said, I met him I, and I'm not ashamed to say I don't know much about him. So we're going to get to know each other in front of everybody. But I followed him long enough on TikTok to know he's a real deal and I'm excited to hear from him. So uh, again, onicpodcast.com. If you wanna binge listen to all of our amazing episodes, as you know, I made a change here over the last few weeks. These episodes are different now. Longer, more thorough. I really wanna get into the weeds um, and I'm exploring all kinds of topics now. It's not just you know how to build an online business, it's investing, it's basically whatever the things I'm interested in, I'm taking you along for the journey. And of course, learn.com, L-U-R-N.com to join the entrepreneurial revolution. Um, and so with that said, I wanna introduce you to our guest today. He's joining me in the ring, Michael Alafante, a uh, Airbnb pro expert. You can find him on TikTok. I highly, 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 highly recommend you do and follow him there. Lots of great stuff to learn. Um, he has some coursework and trainings, which I'm going to be taking. So we'll, we'll get you URLs to that soon. But Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait for this conversation. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Well, Michael, so first of all, um, how long have you been doing Airbnb now? Uh, about two years and two months. So still okay. fairly new, I guess, in perspective. Yeah, you look pretty... Yeah, you look pretty young, man. Like, I don't think you can be that old. Like, do you mind me asking how old you are? 29. 29. That's awesome. Um, dang, I'm jealous. You're buying properties before you're 30. My CPA tried so hard to get me to look at investing in properties in my late 20s, and I thought it was the stupidest thing to do. <laughs> I think back now, I think about all the money I lost by not, you know, it, the for me, it clicked 
like about three, three and a half years ago. And it was thanks to my wife who made it click. Um, but I was 35 by that point. And I, I, call, I still have the same CPA and I called him back and I was like, why didn't you? And he's like, I tried you idiot. You wouldn't listen to me. So good on you, man. Um, so what were you, so tell me a little bit, we're going to get into, uh, just for everyone. So, you know, I'm going to ask him about how to find a property, where to buy the property, how to maximize it, what kind of ROI should we look for, what geographical areas are the best, and so we start with a condo, a townhouse, a single family, a freaking building, I don't know. We're gonna get into all of those, but before we do, Michael, what were you doing before this? Like, how did you, you know, and I hope your answer isn't, I was like a real estate developer who was like a master of, you know, real estate, but it might be, but yeah, what were you doing before your Airbnb? So, backtracking several years. I was a college athlete, played baseball through college, was hoping to play professionally, didn't pan out. So I just jumped into a sales profession in, in the technology industry. So I was selling data center, cloud, all sorts of stuff, networking, and quickly realized that I did not have any passionate bone in my body for tech sales. Um, so <laughs> chasing the dollar, right? Trading my time for money, I quickly learned about the term financial freedom um, and what that meant. So I spent about what four or five years in tech sales, saving up money, but not quite sure what I wanted to invest in. Read all the books, Rich Dad Poor Dad, watched a ton of YouTube videos, did some networking. Um, I was really focusing on my earnings at the time. So how can I expedite the amount of dollars I can save each year so I can make that investment or those investments when the time comes? So the way I got into Airbnb, my wife and I were actually transitioning into a new job for myself, uh, moving from Austin, Texas to Nashville, Tennessee. And I was really interested in doing what a lot of people do, right? Small multifamily, maybe a duplex, maybe try and house hack, single family, and rent out the units, maybe for shoot for what, 200 bucks a door. That didn't quite get me excited when I was breaking down the math and thinking, what is my financial freedom number? Meaning the amount of cash flow I needed to surpass my monthly living expenses and support my lifestyle. I was like, how many properties do I need for 200 bucks a door? Quickly learned about Airbnb. And I was like, if these numbers are real, I'm all in. But like most people listening, you hear people talk about the numbers like myself on TikTok and Instagram, and they don't sound real. Um, but a single property I learned can cash flow you thousands of dollars per month, um, especially when you learn how to set yourselves apart. So we made our first investment. And one of the quick lessons I learned was how much it cost to furnish a house. I had to sell my truck, which I had like a dream truck of mine, I paid off as fast as I could, sold that to furnish the property. Saw all that cash flow coming in and we were all in. So we can get into the weeds on the other properties we got, but that was kind of my background and how we got into it. And like you said, when we first launched on Airbnb and saw all those bookings come in, it was just like Christmas every time our phone started you know, going off. Um, so super exciting stuff. Um, and, and honestly, it's just amazing how quickly you can scale how much faster you can scale and reach financial freedom. It really only takes you one to three properties, I think, to reach financial freedom for most people with Airbnb. That's so crazy. I mean, to think about that, right? I mean, one to one to three properties. I mean, you're making 30000 with just four and you're earning the salary of a doctor <laughs> um, with, with four properties on Airbnb. Okay, so uh, to, to get some negative Nancy's questions out of the way right out the gate, you started two years ago, pandemic. Did you start, uh, was it pre-pandemic or post-pandemic? It was. We launched our first one in December of 2019. Okay, so, you know, pandemic happens and everyone's like... <gasps> Airbnb is going to die. Hotels are going to die. Everyone's going to die. It's all over. And then like once it settles, everyone, it's like, oh my God, Airbnbs are taking off like a freaking rocket because no one wants to stay in hotels. So it actually makes perfect sense. They want to stay in a socially distant home. Um, has it gotten to a point of mass absorption? Like, are you, you know, honestly speaking, like today, is it harder to to make money with Airbnb than two years ago? Because everyone like myself has like run in and is starting to launch Airbnb properties. So I think there eventually will come to a time where there might be some level of market saturation. Obviously each market in town is different. Um, but if you look at trending data reports that AirDNA and some other you know, data hub published, like publishers put out each year, the supply simply cannot keep up with demand. And not just the supply of the housing market, the supply of rental homes available. And even in rental homes available on AirDNA, it actually has not recovered since pre-pandemic levels because so many Airbnb owners, short-term rental operators, 
either went to something like midterm or long-term stays like corporate housing, or they switched to a long-term and sort of sold off their properties because they were so scared that they wouldn't be profitable for the foreseeable future. So the number of houses out there, the supply is still not what it was in most markets pre-pandemic, which a lot of people don't realize. And I actually honestly did not realize that until last week to actually, I was looking at the numbers on your DNA. So I found that fascinating. The second thing to think about is if, a, if the market does become, you know, has saturation in the future or becomes oversaturated, it just stresses the importance of being in that top, top 10 to 25% of performing properties. So in my mind, I'm trying to sell the experience. If you can sell the experience, think like the way Apple does with their products versus selling the product, selling a home, a, a hotel room, you're going to earn a higher click rate, more bookings, more positive reviews, appear higher in Airbnb search and get more at-bats than the rest of the properties out there. So if you are able to do that and provide that better experience, I think you're going to still perform extremely well in years to come, even if the market becomes oversaturated. I think the bottom you know, 25 to 50% of performing properties are going to be the ones that struggle. Yeah. Okay. So you, know, you said this quote earlier and I wrote it down and I feel like that's where we'll get into some of this is like, set yourself apart is something you said. And I noticed with our property, so our properties in Fort Lauderdale, um, it's, you know, in a hot area that's got a lot of properties. I mean, so when I search Fort Lauderdale and look at our area, I mean, ours is kind of one of many. And that was the first thing I noticed a couple of days ago when I was going through it. I'm like, God, we don't like, you know, there's one property right next to ours, well, in the listings that you could just tell their highlight is their pool. They've like put, they've got like all these lights and it's just super sexy. And I don't even know if anyone would really use all of that, but it just looks really sexy. So I started to figure that out and I'm thinking like, okay, what's going to be our set ourselves apart? Um, so we'll talk about that, but I, I kind of jumped into this maybe a little bit too quickly. And I figured for some of our listeners, just so you guys know what we're talking about with Airbnb is that. Um, Michael buys a property, he owns it, but instead of renting it to someone on a lease that's a one-year lease and you know just kind of letting them live there, he rather do sh what they call short-term rentals, and that's you use sites like Airbnb or Verbo or other sites, and you allow people to simply book two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nights. They pay a big premium for that. Um, your place is furnished and all of that fun stuff. And so. Um, Technically speaking, you should make more money. And um, technically speaking, you have risk as well because you may not book as many nights. And so maybe, you know, if you don't, if you're not good at it, you'd be better off just renting it and being done with it annually. Um, so I just wanted everyone to kind of know like that's at the stage. Air, Airbnb is a website called Airbnb.com. Um, so let's, I have a couple of questions. So you said you, you, you know, you bought your first property um, and, just furnishing the place alone was, you know, required you to sell your truck. So people that are listening right now, what's a good realistic number for them to buy this? How much cash do you have to have down? Are there creative financing strategies you used? Or, you know, let's just be real with our listeners in the sense of like, listen, if you want to buy a house and do Airbnb, you need to have X amount of money before you can do it. Yeah, actually the most common question I get asked is, how much did you have for your first property to get started? Or how much do I need to get started? And it's kind of an interesting answer to that question with Airbnb versus any other type of real estate investment, even not including right borrowing other people's money or leveraging other people's money and partnering. I say, what is your starting budget? How much capital do you have to employ into this investment? And then we'll select the strategy with Airbnb from there. Right? You mentioned the buy and hold. That's what everyone thinks of first, 20% down or whatever, 15% down. Then you have to pay closing costs, furnish the property, fix up anything that needs to be fixed up, and then list on Airbnb. There's two other strategies, actually, if you don't have enough money for that down payment. Number one is called rental arbitrage or Airbnb arbitrage. This is the corporate housing model um, that a lot of people are scaling extremely fast, and the cash-on-cash -cash return is extremely high because there is no down payment. You're basically approaching a landlord or a homeowner and seeking out a corporate lease agreement. Um, which is, you know, corporate housing model. So basically you approach them saying in the lease agreement, I need you to allow me to furnish this really nicely and rent it out to my clients or to people on a shorter term basis. That could be for a few days at a time, could be for a few months at a time. Um, traditionally, this was done for uh, work relocation, traveling nurses, work personnel, and some family leisure, like vacation travel. So a lot less money is needed because all you need to do is furnish it, and then pay for anything associated with the lease, starting up the lease agreement. 
Uh, the third strategy, you're like, Michael, I have no money. Well, you could do co-hosting. This is the hardest because it takes a lot of networking, especially when you're first starting. But co-hosting basically allows you to be a virtual property manager. You don't even have to live next to the property. You deal with the cleaners and the scheduling and the, the guest messaging, the pricing of the property, and you get a percentage of the revenue that that property brings in. So our properties brought in just north of $600,000 last year. If someone was to manage our property as a co-host for only 10%, which is far less than a traditional property manager, they would have made 60 grand with no money out of pocket to get started there. So that's just an example. And I know people that have started with co-hosting a scale to 10, 15 plus properties. And now they have enough cash flow just from co-hosting, which can automate 90% of the management to leave their job and do that full time or to collect enough money to start their own arbitrage or own buy and hold. So there is a strategy for every budget out there, but certainly the cost barrier of entry to a buy and hold can be quite substantial depending on the down payment and the size of the property. Um, and the, you know, a size of property is going to dictate how much you have to spend on furniture as well. Got it. Got it. All right. So, and then the third, I guess, is just straight up buying it, right? Because you had said rent, rental arbitrage co-hosting and the third was just Buy, yeah, buy and hold. I call buy and hold, and, yeah, just like a traditional. Okay, got it, got it, buy and hold. So, on a mortgage, yeah. and in that case, it's the usual 20% down, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes, I've actually only put 20% down twice. Um, the rest of our, and this is on five going on six properties now. We have, we've got to launch one in Fort Lauderdale, similar to you, and we have another one that we're closing on in March. Um, what's really cool about Airbnb, the other big benefit is that a lot of, it, technology has democratized vacation rentals for the everyday homeowner. So you can even rent out your own house, but think a second home. People would often have a second home to take their family you know, to the beach or to the lake somewhere, to the mountains. Um, you would ordinarily have to pay a property manager, let's say 30 to 40% historically, property management fees if you wanted to do that. But now people can do it from anywhere using technology to schedule their cleaners, to communicate with guests, uh, smart technology to let guests in the house without a physical key, security cameras, all that stuff. So with the second homes, you only have to put down 10% to, for a second home loan, as long as you qualify under the normal conventional guidelines, which is really cool because the cost barrier of entry there is far less because 10%, right? I mean, you'd ordinarily be paying double for a 20% down payment. Um, now, there are some rules around that, right? You have to have the intent to use that sum for your own personal use throughout the year, but legally you're allowed to rent it out to people on a short-term basis when you're not using it. So it's an amazing, amazing investment. You can have a paid-for vacation house that pays you money each month. Um, you can also do a 15% down conventional investment loan or a DSCR loan, which we can kind of dig into that later on um, if the conversation kind of goes towards you know different types of leverage there. But there are different options, which is cool. So when you do a 10% down, you do a second home, is your interest rate a lot higher? So the interest rate was actually lower up until recently. The interest rate was more in line with a primary residence loan versus a conventional investment loan. Um, because they're looking at your pure ability to pay it off versus conventional investment loan or any other type of investment loan. They know that's pure investment. They will likely take your ability to service that debt if it's a conventional loan. But with a second home, it used to be lower, but I think with so many people taking advantage of the second home loans and then listing their properties in Airbnb recently, and I think it's going into effect in March or April, I may be wrong, to double check, um, the interest rates are going to be more in line with that of an investment loan going forward. So they are going to be a little bit higher. How much higher do you, 50 basis points, one, like what, what do you, what, what yeah, do you maybe half, maybe half a point higher. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I mean, not the end of the world. Um, in the end, like yeah. a lot of people get really lost in that. So you're, so you, you, you said you have a fifth and a sixth property ready to go. So you have a Fort Lauderdale one, which is super cool. Cause I want to, I think there'll be a lot of numbers I can talk to you about, but um, how are you financing those? Are you doing those as a second home? Or are you doing the 15% or how'd you get those? So my wife and I left our corporate jobs uh, almost a year ago to do real estate full time. And now I do other stuff with my escort through social media and a bunch of other like little businesses that kind of flow through that. Now, as anyone out there knows, if you are, don't have two years of self-employment income to show two years of tax returns, most lenders, or pretty much all lenders that follow the Fannie and Freddie guidelines for conforming conventional loans, they will not loan me or anybody else the money. So we had to pivot because we had the capital and good credit to go get a loan. I learned about DSCR loans, debt service coverage ratio loans. 
And now traditionally these loans were really more in line with a commercial loan, but there's no balloon payment or anything. It's 30 year fixed interest rate, but they're used instead of looking at your income and your debt to income ratio, basically your ability to service that debt each month, the mortgage payment, they're looking at the projected rental income of the subject property to service that debt. And if it, if the debt service coverage is yeah, typically it's one to one or one to 1.2, somewhere in there, they will loan you the money as long as you have proof of funds and a credit score. Now there are two different types there that some, most will look at long-term rental, right? They want the lease agreement or comps in the area. And now there's several bubbling up now, which I'm leveraging, excuse me, that are looking at your DNA rentalizer projections or prior rental history or other comps that they pull from Airbnb. And they're saying this property is going to bring in $100,000 a year. That's more than enough to service the debt service coverage ratio on a one-to-one. So they'll loan you the money as long as you have proof of funds and a, and a decent credit score. When you say proof of funds, what, what do you, like, what does that mean? Proof? Do you need the down payment proof, like payment or you have to show proof of funds beyond that? Yeah, you have to have the means to basically make the purchase, right? Down payment, closing costs, and then and certain lenders, I think most will also look for a um, uh, like reserves. So they'll want like three months of reserves of mortgage payments, basically. Sure. So DSCR, that's interesting. And you said that you can get away with a 15% um, down payment. I found most want 20, but I do have, I have stumbled across lenders that will do 15% even for the Airbnb program, short-term rental program. Now, does there, do those interest rates go even higher from a conventional loan? They are. Yeah, they're typically higher than conventional loan. Um, it also depends on the broker, the lender that you're working with. Some will be closer to conventional investment loans, but they do tend to be a little bit higher because they're assessing the, the loan as, as riskier because you know there's not a lease agreement in place. And is it about, like again, half a point, a point, point and a half? Yeah, if your credit is... Like seven hundred plus, you're probably and you know the loan amount is like less than probably like one point five million. You're probably looking at at a minimum high fours to a maximum of six somewhere in there. Got it, got it, got it. All right, um, and that stands to change everybody because interest rates are going up. So uh, hold on to your hold on to your hats for that. Okay, cool. So we talked about different financing strategies. So really, you do have to have money, and my assumption is that. Like, do you tell your students about, is there, have you found a sweet spot? Like, hey, a good Airbnb property, we're probably going to be 400 grand at least, right? Like, you're not going to go to a tertiary market, buy a $100,000 house and Airbnb it. That's my guess. I don't know. But I'm just wondering from you, like, have you found that in your research? Yeah, the cost per property varies across each market pretty drastically, right? Um, but in a lot of the top tier vacation rental markets that most people here have and want to invest in have gotten very expensive, of course. So it also depends on the size of the property. I don't so much look at, hey, you need to purchase a minimum of $500,000 home. Really, we look at uh, maximizing the cash on cash return. So the total cash flow projected for the first year divided by the total money you have to come out of pocket to get that investment up and running. Um, my minimum is 25%, especially if we're self-managing. And oftentimes we see far higher than 25%. That's kind of like a, a bare minimum threshold, which is be becoming a little bit more difficult to find, but those deals are still out there. Um, and I'd like to be surprised by a little bit more cash flow than less. Usually the, the forecasts are conservative. So I focus less on you know, the size of the property or the total cost of the property and more so what's our budget and can we find something within that budget that achieves that 25% cash on cash. So where do you live right now? Like, where are you stationed out of? So, uh, loaded question. My wife and I last lived in Nashville, Tennessee. We lived there for about two and a half years. Um, and in May of last year, after we quit our jobs, our goal was before we have kids, we want to travel as much as possible, especially in the U.S. We've, we've done a lot of international travel over the past bunch of years. So we actually lived in a camper van for six and a half months and traveled to like 22 national parks, hiked over 400 miles, did a bunch of crazy stuff and we brought our two dogs too, but it was pretty, pretty fun. So we could literally manage our Airbnb properties from our phone across the country with half <laughs> cell service half the time. It was a little risky, but we made it work. Um, and then we ended up at Fort Lauderdale for about three months, fixing up a property and getting ready for Airbnb. Today, when we're filming this podcast, I'm in 
uh, Lake Keeley, South Carolina. So just outside of Greenville. So we're scouting out areas to buy our next primary home. Uh, but yeah, wow. currently, currently we're homeless. <laughs> nice. And, and the reason I asked that question and your answer was like, to anyone who knows, I didn't know the answer to that. But the point I was going to get to is, I guess you don't really need to be in the area to have that property, right? So what I'm confused by, and I guess we can move right into this, or I'll come back to it. So I'm going to make a note here, is you're not using property managers, but you're also not there. So I think like that, that's an interesting question because that's exactly what I'm seeing with my property that we did, right? It's just like, I kind of chuckled and I'm like, well, the property manager is making all the money. <laughs> like, And they're not really doing much, I guess. It's been about a month in, month and a half in, and I'm kind of struggling to see, you know, yeah, they helped us get our licenses and stuff and I'm not downplaying that whatsoever, but I don't know if that's worth so much money. Um, but we'll talk about that in a second. So uh, let's move into this. This is one of my questions I really want to ask a two-part question. First is, what kinds of properties? So when I was looking to get my first one in Florida, there was like the the section of people that are saying get condos because there's more of them. They're easier to rent out and you know can get water-facing, beach-facing. Then you got the people that are like, yeah, that's just a death trap because at any point the HOA can just say, boom, no short-term stays. Um, but, you know, they're cheaper, easier, whatever. Um, there's less to manage. You don't have a yard. You don't have all that stuff. Then there's people like, no, get single family. And then there's like, I just talked to one guy today, sorry, uh, yesterday. He's a friend of mine and he's like, oh, I refuse to buy pre-built. I bought 25 acres and I'm building, you know, 60 cabins. And I'm like, that sounds like a lot of work. I want to do that, right? So I was like, good for you, man. I don't want to be a developer. I was like, I just, this is not my personal interest. So I'm, what, what are you seeing? I, I noticed, I, I can't remember now, but I feel like all your properties are a little different. So you seen a trend? Is there a particular type of property you guys look for? Uh, we should, we look at all of them, um, but we're looking to maximize cash and cash and cash flow. So we kind of look at what's available for us. I, you know, I'm not biased one way or the other single family versus condo because actually one of our best performing properties is a condo, more of a townhouse, but it is part of a con condominium owners association in downtown Nashville. So there's pros and cons there. My requirement and what I teach people that I teach uh, is if you're going to go the condo route, they're going to have a COA or an HOA. You need at least 50% of those properties to be already operating in short term rentals. Because you're right, at any point they could have a board meeting or change leadership in the board and put out a vote to nick short-term rentals, then you're kind of and you're kind of screwed. Um, so ours, most of the most of the uh, properties in there are short-term rentals, so we feel pretty good about that. Um, the the pros, though, like you said, the outside of the house maintenance you don't have to take care of. That's part of it. And a lot of times with condos, they take care of um, or the con uh, the HOA payment also includes. Some of the utilities sometimes or even wi-fi uh, with beach properties i have heard and this probably isn't the case for all markets they have some other weird rules in place sometimes uh, for short-term rentals they'll say the minimum stay is seven nights because they're trying to avoid the quick turnover so that could really damage you though because especially in the off season there's not a ton of people especially in like the panhandle of florida that are going for a full seven days they just want a quick three-day getaway and if you're not allowed to list that for less than seven days, you're missing on that demand. But in the summertime, you're, you're pretty booked. So to answer your question, I would say start with your budget, look both routes, and just go with the better option, uh, the, the best option that you have in front of you. But uh, the rest of ours are single family homes. Okay. So you're fairly agnostic to the type of property it is. You're more sensitive to the cost. So that's going to help you determine what the cash on cash is. So I guess let me, so then the next question was geographical location. What are your top four, five, six, seven markets that right now you're like, that's it. These are the ones I'm looking at, or do you even have any? And then if so, then how do you go about finding a property? Cause the country is a big country. So where do I start? Yeah, there you can make, money in almost any market, I feel like. I, I really try and avoid major metro areas that are not short-term rental friendly, like a San Francisco or Los Angeles, New York City. Um, even Nashville starting to crack down on their rules. Most of it is around zoning now. Um, so understand the rules and regulations of any market is important first and kind of see where that's trending because you never want to, again, be in a situation where they're going to nix it or you know, stop giving out permits. Um, but as far as the top markets that I'm looking at, Fort Lauderdale, 
I feel like that's going to be on everyone's radar um, because the I made my way down there initially starting to want a beach house in like the Panhandle area. Very actually very more seasonal than I thought. It really tapers off big time uh, in the fall and then picks back up in spring break and busy all summer. Fort Lauderdale is just steady eddy throughout the entire year. Dips off a tiny bit in a couple months like September. Uh, but the occupancy is so strong. And then if you look at the average daily rate trends, especially for nicer properties that have nice amenities like a pool, you're closer to the water. You don't have to be waterfront or beachfront are charging an absorbent amount of money. And the key type of people that are willing to spend that kind of money come to Fort Lauderdale. I'll call it some people you just have FU money and they're just looking for the most gorgeous place they could bring their family or even come down from New York or something, come up from Miami for business or international business travel. And they like Fort Lauderdale. There's a lot to do. It's a really busy city. Um, Scottsdale and Phoenix, Arizona is another one. And if you look there, the 75th percentile, if you go on AirDNA of performing properties, I don't think has been below like 75 or 80% on any given month in the past three years, which is bonkers. I mean, it's hard to and, find and that anymore. Where do you get this data? Do you use AirDNA? AirDNA is the main one that I use. So have you bought their full package for so everyone who's listening i'm just going to go on a side tangent here i spoke to the air dna guys it's expensive i mean it was a big five figure you know did, did i miss something is there like a back door a cheaper entry point like is there a secret word i can say because I, I was pretty so for me it was like all right like if i'm this is good i'll do it if i'm like full-blown going into it but this is not like a i'm tatering with it so i'll buy it was, a, it was like a 12,000. I don't remember what it was, but it was it was enough of a number to give me a pause and say, wow. So is that what you paid too? Or is there something yeah. else? I got a custom, you have to get a custom quote. You can buy each market individually, which is a price based on size of market, number of rentals per market. So I think that can range from like 20 to $100 a month. Now it does sound expensive at first, uh, but what I quickly realized that if $100 for even if you do two a month, you know, in one market, if you're focused on like, like Nashville, for example, that data can help you make a much better investment decision or maybe not make an investment because you had to avoid it because, hey, you had all the data at hand now. The best part about when you buy that information is you can use filters, right? So you can look at, hey, I'm only looking at three-bedroom properties. Well, maybe I should be looking at two-bedroom properties because there's a major difference in occupancy and average daily rate between the two, and that helps you submit a more accurate forecast for yourself. Um, so that data is definitely invaluable. It seems expensive, but if $100 or maybe a few hundred dollars can potentially make you or save you thousands of dollars per year or even per month. Um, it's, it's a small number in, your, in hindsight. You sound like the, sound like the guy who was trying to sell it to me. Word for word. These are the words you use. You're right though. I didn't buy it for a long time. Um, but once I really dug into that information, I honestly bought it mainly because I'm using it every day to you know, teach my students as well. And on my one-on-one -on -one calls. Um, but I did buy a whole U.S. for that purpose. But ever since I did, it's, it, it doesn't make sense to buy the whole U.S. unless you're looking to like really scale and you got money, you're ready to go buy multiple properties. I would say buy a couple markets that you're interested in and you're going to quickly find out which one's going to have the better opportunity because you had that data. Got it. So let's go back. Fort Lauderdale, Scottsdale, Phoenix. What else? This, this was like gold right here. Yeah, the Smoky Mountains are always going to be. That's the most visited national park in the country, I think by a landslide, like 12 to 15 million people a year, which surprises a lot of people. That's uh, the border wow. of Tennessee and North Carolina. Now, the price of real estate there is just kind of bonkers because everyone's realizing that it's a great investment there. Um, so the next market I'm focused on, which is close by, is the Blue Ridge market, Blue Ridge, Georgia, kind of LAJ, Morganton area, and then Broken Bow, Oklahoma is another really good one. ton of beautiful cabins being built there. A lot of people don't know about it. What was that? Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And then I'll mention I'll mention one more. There's a bunch I could go on, but uh, Joshua Tree, California. I really try and avoid California uh, for real estate investments at all costs, but Joshua Tree, the numbers are are excellent. All right. So these are locations. I'm going to play it out. You get these on Air DNA. You study the data. And you decide based on the data, you'll determine, do you want a two bedroom, a three bedroom, a four bedroom, a single family, a condo, a beach facing, a mountain facing or whatever? I guess all is that all that data in there in the AirDNA package? Yeah, I can't. I don't remember if you can distinguish between condos versus single family homes, but you can distinguish between number of rentals that are renting out the entire house versus just a portion of the house, like a shared space, a room. OK, um, but yeah, Got you it. could use the filters, which is the most, in my opinion, most important thing. And 
I will mention one more thing about your DNA, which is extremely helpful, which I don't know if a lot of people do this, but I think you can view it for at least a limited time on the free version without having to buy a market is looking at the top properties section, which gives you a map and you can look at all the Airbnb lit and Verbo listings on the map. And you could use those filters too, right? Looking at one, two, three, four, five bedroom properties. I want to know where the top performing properties are. You're going to really quickly start to notice trends like Fort Lauderdale, for example, you're going to notice US one is close, like goes right into Fort Lauderdale, but it's, you know, a couple miles, like two miles west of the ocean. All the top properties, you start to notice clusters. So these, and I've never been to Fort Lauderdale, we purchased sight unseen. So I use that information to help make a, a better decision, a data-driven decision, not only where they're located, but also they have photos. What, what do you notice about these properties that they all have in common? For me, they all had a really nice pool and outdoor space. So the first property we bought was not really close to the cluster, but it was about a mile inland. Price of real estate, real estate was like way cheaper, 50% cheaper. Um, and we spent the extra money to actually rehab the backyard, make the pool area nicer, add an outdoor kitchen, add like lighting, like you said before, like up lighting, string lighting around the palm tree. It photographs so well now because we know it's all about attention span on Airbnb. It's no different than social media for me because you're scrolling through hundreds of properties, just like people on TikTok. What's going to catch your interest in those first two seconds that earns that click? When you're in that click, you get to the splash page with five photos. Those are your key moments. That's what's going to buy someone in. Why should I rent here? And why should I spend more money here versus the neighbor's house? So that's my mindset going in. And I use that data from Airbnb or even just Airbnb, looking at the properties that have all the good reviews, notice trends in those properties and kind of cherry pick ideas that create your own experience. Oh, that's amazing. Do you find like, hey, uh, three bedroom, that's it. I don't care. Like that's all my properties are three bedroom or more, two bedrooms or four bedrooms. Have you found that or market by market, it's different? I think market by market, it's different. Uh, in most larger vacation rental markets, the bigger the house, the bigger the cash flow, certainly. Uh, but there's also a higher cost barrier of entry. So it kind of eliminates a lot of other people. And typically in most markets, there's more two, like three bedroom homes and there are five plus bedroom homes available. Now, as we have scaled, at first it was, here's how much money we have. Let's select the best investment for us to maximize return. Now we're a little bit more strategic on, hey, instead of getting as many properties as possible, I would rather maximize cash flow, assuming the cash and cash returns the same across the board. So we're focusing on larger properties, four plus bedrooms that produce eight to 12 K in cash flow a month. That's kind of our, our general target right now. Four to five bedroom properties that produce eight to 10 K cash flow net in your pocket or total? After, after all expenses and mortgage paid. Got it. And we are going to get into that pretty soon, guys. So um, first of all, Michael, I just want to take a pause here in a moment and just to really appreciate you. You're being very forthcoming. You're giving all the data. It's awesome. I don't know if anyone who's listening is getting all of it, but being someone who's done an Airbnb, like I'll tell you guys right now, rewind and go to the geographical location part. That right there, you guys just got ridiculous value and he got very specific. I, I would have thought you'd be like Georgia you know, not specifically the area of Georgia. So thank you for that. Um, that's awesome. Okay. So, um, so now you kind of use your budget, you use air DNA data. How did you come up with these locations? So Scottsdale, Phoenix, Smoky Mountains, Blue Ridge, Broken, ba Broken something. Um, I wrote it down here, but Joshua Tree, like they're all over the place. Did you just I mean, are you sitting there looking at all the markets or is there some kind of hack you use to get to like, okay, here's the top markets? Yeah, so general market research. It all started with just Google searching and then networking with people. You know, you can go to your pockets, Facebook groups, network with realtors, other investors that have already done it. And then signing up just for free accounts with sites like your DNA. And that way they send you emails. They'll get you it's free info. I mean, they'll post typically annual and also quarterly reports. But the annual reports are really nice because they'll give you trends that they saw from the past year where their predictions right, what they predict for the upcoming year as far as rental demand supply in the market. But they'll also give you a list of uh, top places to invest based on their data, which some of it is extremely surprising to me on the markets, markets I would never want to invest in. But I'm like, wow, clearly your DNA has pulled all this information and they're saying that these markets are. So that's what kind of get. And they put that on their email list? Like they just put that out for free? Yeah. And you could Google AirDNA top, top markets to invest in. It should bubble up. They just published their most recent one, I think, last week. Uh, Joshua Tree was up there. I don't know if it was number one, but it was like top three, which wasn't surprising, but I think Memphis was on there. And I was like, I've been to Memphis and 
it's not like the most exciting city anymore. So I wouldn't have considered that, but maybe whatever data that they're collecting is, is saying otherwise, which, which is kind of interesting. So that's a really helpful, helpful places. Leverage those tools out there. And there's lots of other companies posting those types of reports, but general Google searching, like if you're looking at national parks, look at, because they show all that data. I think I don't know if it's a national park website or just other websites, blog posts, you know, most visited areas, high traffic areas. What are the uh, top or like booming cities, growing cities? Why are they growing? Does it also support tourism or is it just like a growing city for people to move to? Like in Austin, Texas, mainly Austin, like five, six years ago, 10 years ago, but Nashville's booming too. A lot of people are leaving these other major metro areas that are really expensive to live in that can now work remote. And one, they're coming and doing Airbnb in town while they're, while they're there to explore the city, but two, they're moving there. So long-term capital appreciation is there too. Um, so I kind of look at all these different factors um, and then just if I can get my hands on the tourism growth or is it declining? Is it steady each year? Like Nashville, I remember seeing they posted like one year it was 12 million and it was 14, 15 million, 17 million visitors per year. That was exciting for me because that's why I was like, well, even if there's, I don't think supply is going to be able to keep up with demand in that market. Um, so that's the general research at least. Okay. All right. Uh, very helpful. That's awesome. Cause yeah, cause your, your prop, your areas are so specific. Um, I want to talk to you about, you know, the three main things I want to talk about now really will be the set apart, the financials, and then the managing of properties, like managing them using your phone. Like you said, not having to pay the 20% or heck I was quoted as high as 40% to manage a property. I mean, the 40% was just, I just burst out laughing. I'm like, I don't understand, you know, what's the point? Like, I want to be in your business. I, I want to start managing properties instead of buying them. But let's talk about the the set apart. And, and I want to use myself as an example. You kind of got into it a little bit. So we bought a property. It's got a pool. It's a gorgeous property. Um, we did it up nicely. It's got a nice contemporary look and feels very clean. Um, but I, I don't necessarily... So it looks nice, right? But I... Like the picture is fine. It shows that it's snazzy and it's got this nice look, but I'm not really sure like that really making, is that going to make us stand out? The first day or two that we went live on listings, we got booked up like crazy. And then the last few days, we haven't really picked up much, maybe a few nights here and there. Well, go to find out when you're a brand new listing, Airbnb helps you out. They put you at the top by default. And our cost is a little bit lower than the people around us because we don't have any reviews. We have one now. Um, so I'm looking at this and I'm like, we got to do something like we need to do like a punch to the gut to the listings, right? Like we need to do something meaty to really make this thing stand out. So, I'm, but like, okay, make the pool nicer. But, but there are like the one that listing that was coming up right below ours. I was like, I, I told my wife, I'm like, I want to go stay there. That pool looks awesome. Or I thought, do I add more games? Like we have a small garage that really isn't to be used as a garage. So I throw some arcade games in there and throw some more games, throw some stuff on the outside lawn and like position it as like a gaming thing. I have no clue, man. Like, what would you say to someone like me? It's like how to set apart. Yeah. So usually I try and create one to three key moments within the property called a wow factor. Um, depending on the size of the property and location, you may only be able to get one in there, but it's all about the photos. What is going to draw someone's attention and get a click? So it's not always just having a nice, obviously location is important because someone's going to zoom in on a map and start there. Um, but amenities is important. So if you can add things, if you have a game room set up, or if you can add a pool table, or like you said, games outside, or even bikes or kayaks, depending where you are, that, that is a nice to have for sure. Now, the next thing I'm gonna mention is really important, especially in today's digital world that we live in. And that's to, you're basically selling moments within the property that people can go create a memory while they're there. Uh, our first property we ever created, we put a interactive, an interactive mural on the living room wall. We had this massive, it basically like an open canvas. Um, and it looked awkward, the wall was so big, just blank. So we hired a local mural artist to put, we're like, let's do wings because in Nashville, we noticed there would be hundreds of people in line waiting to take photos in front of murals around the city. It's a big mural city. What if we brought that inside the house and created that moment for people? Lots of bachelorette parties coming in, people coming in for special occasions. They can have their own private photo that nobody else in the world can have unless they run our place. Also, that's free advertising. So now we have people booking our place at 50% higher rate than our neighbors months in advance. 
and obviously we're catering more to a bachelor bachelorette parties for that specific property, but it works. And they post photos, you know, the people standing in front, it looks like they have giant butterfly wings on it. says Nashville written above it. So that's one example. You can do something interactive that creates a special moment that people want to create that memory with their friends or their family in that property. And then secondly, if you can create cool, cool areas around the house, like outdoor spaces are huge. If you can add a hot tub or even just a fire pit with some pavers and some string lighting, you know, you're selling the experience, sell the ambiance, not just, you know, what's at the property. Is it a nice place or not? Um, because people want to take photos and take videos on their phone and show everybody else, look what I'm doing, right? It sounds self-centered, but we're all kind of guilty of that. Like, look at this yeah. badass life I'm living, you know? I found this place. You're not staying here. Uh, maybe that's not what they're actually thinking per se, but it does work. If you sell the experience, people will be willing to pay more for that property and you'll have higher demand and hopefully get better reviews. Like you said, when you first list, you can do that Airbnb new listing discount. They're going to boost you to the top of search. Now it's going to be a little bit harder. Once you start getting more positive reviews, that's like the number one thing in my mind that's going to boost you in their algorithm and the search result rankings. The higher you rank, the more clicks you get, right? The more clicks you get, the more bookings, the more bookings further out. It's kind of like this perpetual life cycle and where you're going to get more bookings at a higher nightly rate further out. And then people are going to look at a limited availability on your calendar, see the cool photos, the cool moments within your house and the higher nightly price, higher reviews, quantity and quality. And they're going to perceive value with that property. And they're gonna be like, other people want it, I want it, All right? So that, at least in my mind, that's how it, how it goes. And it seems to be working pretty well. Oh, that's awesome. That's some really cool ideas. I, I like the whole focus on the experience. So create spaces in that, you know, like we have some room to create spaces. We can literally have a game room. We can have, you know, um, but then at the same time, it's like, I got to talk to my property managers. Like, why are people coming here? Because I don't actually know my target market. You know, are they coming? Are they, is it going to be mostly families? Because, you know, like you said, you guys knew your target market for one of your properties. Like we're optimizing this for bachelorette parties. Um, and that's just, you know, going to be, so that's interesting. I didn't really think about that. And that, that um, makes a ton of sense. Okay. So let's go over financials. You mentioned 25% and I'll start by, I guess you kind of, one of the things that shocked me about Florida, and, and this is kind of like a warning to everybody out there who foams at the mouth at Florida's no income tax. Um, yes, they have no income tax, but they have ridiculous property tax. So if your income isn't high enough, just be aware, their, their property tax will give you a pause. Like you will literally say, what the heck happened? Um, and the insurance cost in Florida, I have never seen anything like it. I mean, it's about as much as my property tax. And it makes sense, right? Because it's, it's Florida. Like, I don't know what the heck. All Every like calamity of the world goes through that poor state. But I'm looking at the math and I'm like, gosh, if we had normal, you know, real estate taxes and normal insurance costs, my ROI on this thing is going to be killer. So we we use conservative numbers because I'm still not like, you know, I'm told by our property manager, hey, your place should be 75% of the year booked. Is that is that what you're seeing? So you did a Fort Lauderdale research. Is 75%, is that kind of like the, the number that you go for? Is that, is that fair? Yeah, that, that's that's fair. If you're okay. if you're in a decent location, the house is well photographed, looks nice, especially if you have a pool. Um, yeah. That that's seventy fifth percentile is easy, seventy five percent. So I use that. Yeah, and I did some math, and I'm like, I, I kind of I came down to a ten percent cash on cash, and I was like, eee. you know, I'm not complaining, but there there's a lot of places I can invest to get ten percent cash on cash, and not to mention. Florida's properties have already like appreciated, I feel, because we checked the tax records on the one that we bought. I mean, these people bought it just a few years ago and we double paid like what they paid. Now we didn't, we actually got it below market. We got lucky, it was a great buy by today's standards, but one helps, one can't help but wonder like, is it really gonna keep going up at that rate? Everyone says no. What we're seeing is that it really is. It's still going up, so it's fine. But yeah, where, um, you know, what are some of the numbers you look for? Like, so when you calculate, what are, what are the expenses you go through? Um, and then, yeah, so the big cost, the biggest cost of all is our property management. I mean, that's that's 20%. And if we took property management out, oh yeah, we're sailing, you know? Um, that heck, that that gets me right back to probably that 25% that you're, that you're talking about. So 
numbers and then let's talk about how do you manage properties without being there so yeah numbers first though yeah, so for sure for numbers usually i'm doing like quick property evaluation i i have my spreadsheet and i'll just do i'll put in the down payment percentage that'll spit out the down payment on the house i usually ballpark three percent for closing costs that can range from two to four percent depending on the loan and then any rehab necessary for the property and you kind of ballpark that if it's turnkey ready to go at zero and then for furniture, if it's unfurnished, you have to pay for the furniture. I'll usually do a rough ballpark. What I found is pretty accurate. Uh, $5,000 per number of bedrooms. And that includes common areas like kitchen, living, and dining bathrooms. Uh, but if you have an additional patio, a pool area, or a game room, I usually budget an additional $2,500 to $5,000 per additional space. And that gives me a pretty good rough estimate of the total money out of pocket investing. Then we go through the forecast, right? Get their DNA, find local comps on Airbnb. We pick apart their calendar, see what we think we're going to end up charging. And for example, for Lauderdale, maybe around 75% occupancy, that gives us our revenue. But you have much more operating expenses, like you said. So we'll we always include property tax and insurance. And for those not aware, for insurance, you're going to want to get a specific policy that is built for vacation rentals because you want some sort of liability coverage. You want some sort of loss of rents included in there. If you're not un unable to rent the property, insurance will kind of pay you out up to a certain amount. Additionally, all utility bills you're picking up, Wi-Fi, cable if you're providing that, any landscaping or maintenance, pool maintenance, and then some level of CapEx. So future capital expenses or improvements to the property, we want to ballpark that on a monthly basis, just to kind of account for it, like a new roof 10, 20 years down the road. Um, and then fees, if you're doing property manager, you'll want to put that in there too, the percentage they're charging, um, which you can just do a percentage of revenue. It'll spit that number out. Uh, and then if you are self-managing, I like to use tools like Guesty for Hosts, some other good ones out there like Hospitable or Hostfully. They charge a certain amount or some of the platforms charge a percentage of your, your bookings as well. And then Price Labs or Wheelhouse, one of those two pricing tools, smart pricing tools, it's like 20 bucks a month, pretty cheap. So those are all the OPEX. And then lastly, of course, you need to, whether you're doing arbitrage, you need to put your rent payment or the principal and interest and PMI, if it's included on a conventional loan, less than 20% down, that will spit out your cash flow. And then ultimately the cash on cash return. So yeah, property managers can certainly eat up um, some of your cash flow. I think for someone like yourself who has so much else going on, it probably makes sense to you to be 100% passive. Now, if you did want to bring it in house and manage it yourself, or get you know kind of hire somebody as a as your own little co-host and maybe pay them less than 20%, because um, all the PMs they're automating 90 plus percent of this business now with tech. Because I think traditionally that 40% it was not uncommon for people to charge 40% of revenue, but they had to have an office, an office manager handing out keys, checking guests in, making sure cleaners show up on time. Oftentimes having cleaners on staff. Now they automate most of it. So if they're still charging that much, I and mean, I feel like that's a that's a steal. Well, so let me ask you this then, and I don't know, my my property manager might be listening, but I don't got nothing to hide. Um, it's not that passive. That's what's been irritating. So okay, passive for me. <laughs> my wife is running it. She's managing it, and I said the word passive recently, and she looked at me. She's like, "It ain't that passive." Because so we have a weird water issue going on. I mean, our water bill last month was twelve hundred dollars. Like we use, like they said, we use 56,000 gallons of water or some insane number. And we had, you know, a plumber go there and there's no leak. And now we're getting our, our meter checked. The thing is a property manager is not doing crap with that. That has been on my wife's head. So she's making calls to the county and to the, that they've not helped. Okay. Landscaping. They're like, oh, we don't talk to landscapers. Pool servicing. Oh, we don't talk to the pool servicing. Um, you know, and so I've been kind of looking at this and I'm like, well, what the hell do you guys do? You list us on Airbnb and you get the cleaners to come in and turn the property. The rest of it, the keys and everything's being serviced by this box thingy that they've automated. So I've kind of been like having really some second doubts on whether A, we've got the wrong property managing firm and we just need to move to a different one that does do all of that because we, you know, we don't want to, um, or which leads us to the next part of the conversation is how do we just manage it ourselves? Um, because for my wife, this is mostly her first, like this is her full-time stuff. She manages our nonprofit and she manages our real estate stuff. So maybe if we can just pivot the conversation into how do you manage your properties and like what tools would we need and um, how could we manage this Fort Lauderdale one without the property manager? For sure, a couple steps. 
Number one, you have to automate as much guest communication as possible. Um, you can use that. Actually, Airbnb has automated messaging now too, but for the bulk of it, especially if you're listing on multiple platforms, you want to have a unified inbox and a unified calendar. By that, I mean, if you list on Verbo, Booking.com, and Airbnb, if you get a booking in Airbnb, you need it to be blocked on the other calendars. You don't want to get double booked and have a major issue. And also, same with guest messaging. You can automate messaging from one property management software, PMS system. I currently use Guesty for hosts, and it does everything I need it to do. Um, so I can do scheduled messaging. If you were to book my property, automated message. Thanks for booking. Here's info about the house. Two days before check-in, you get all the check-in instructions, then house rules, then check-out instructions. It will even auto-review guests on Airbnb for me. And that's important because Airbnb will ping the hell out of them saying, Michael just reviewed you in order to see what he said about you. You have to review him first. And that's important to toggle on because ever since we toggled that on, we've been getting far more reviews. The more reviews you get, especially positive reviews, you get bumped higher in Airbnb search. So all that's automated in the background. They even have an Airbnb rankings booster you can toggle on, which will swap the last two photos in your listing and a couple other minor details and then revert it back the next day. I don't know how well that works, but apparently they say that's part of Airbnb's algorithm to say this is more active management. So they get boosted. In uh, and what's this tool called? Guesty for hosts. It used to be called Your Porter and then Guesty, which is now called Guesty for pros. They acquired Your Porter and labeled it Guesty for hosts. Guesty for host. Got it. All right. Okay, so automate the communication, automate the calendar, automate the inbox. Um, and automate uh, as much as you can with your cleaners. There's tools out there like Resort Cleaning or Turnover B&B. Resort Cleaning is amazing. Um, it's like five bucks a listing per month for the cleaners. I would even say go, go pay the cleaners. Pay them double. <laughs> pay them double that cost to, to use that tool because you can import your iCal links from all your platforms, even your PMS system, and import it to Resort Cleaning. They get live updated info on, hey, a booking just happened. They have to accept it. A booking was canceled. It was automatically removed from their calendar, which is amazing because that eliminates you texting or calling, hey, here's updated calendar. Make sure you're here. Are you showing up on time? Um, the next thing I'll mention is automated. Use a smart pricing tool, automated pricing tool. We use Price Labs. I'm also evaluating Real House, both good tools. Um, but basically, they have their own market data and machine learning embedded in their platforms to pull market information and data and analytics to say, March 14th and 15th is going to be a busy weekend. So we're going to change your pricing based on a whole slew of customizations you put in there. And we're going to raise it by like 25% for that weekend. I'm not keeping up with why it's why it needs to be a busier weekend in Nashville. So that's really helpful. Um, that it integrates with- It does the it for the, you? It just... yep, yeah, you put all your customizations in and it will, it'll even color code to the demand for each day of the year. And it will raise your pricing even lower it sometimes to help if you're priced out of competition. I think that was like the biggest time saver for me, more so than guest messaging uh, pricing. What's that tool called? Uh, I use Price Labs currently. Another one is called Wheelhouse. Got so it. that syncs, that can sync directly with Airbnb, Verbo, or it can sync with the property management software, such as Guesty for Host. And the workflow is pricing gets pushed from there, updates daily to Guesty, and then Guesty pushes out to all the platforms, which is really nice. Wow. So, all of those tools are necessary. Now, smart technology in the house really helps having a, a smart lock or even a lock that does, isn't a Wi-Fi enabled lock that just has a code. You eliminate the physical key issue. And also you need to have a physical key backup in case the batteries die. That's happened to us before. So a guest can still get into the house. And then leveraging a security camera that you can watch. You just have one on the front of each house, uh, like a ring floodlight cam, for example. Um, that you can check on, make sure the cleaners show up on time, even though they should already be showing up in time, they use resort cleaning. Um, that's really helpful. Also check if you ever have a guest issue, you'll know because your lock or your camera is going to go off constantly at maybe midnight because guests are, have too many guests over. So you should know. Um, that's really helpful. And that's really it. You can use other tools like noise aware, some of the other smart technologies. I don't use noise aware currently, but that will basically measure the, I think it's the decibel level of the sound in the room. And some of those tools can also see how many cell phones are pinging it. So if there's more than the number of guests that are allowed at your property, you'll get alerted. So that's kind of fascinating. I haven't used that, but I've heard good things. Wow. So there's all sorts of tools out there that enable you to be as hands-off as possible. You're still going to have to respond to guests from time to time. You're still going to have to deal with issues or schedule maintenance, but you can still automate as much as possible where it really doesn't take more. Most weeks, 
one to three hours a week to manage four properties currently. Some days, some days longer, some weeks more, right? Sometimes less. So, so for example, you said, hey, you got to have a backup key. The charging thing might die, the keypad. Who keeps that key though? Because if the guest needs to get in, do you have a local person who you kind of deputize? It's in a physical lockbox right outside the front door. Like one of those master okay. lockboxes, like a, a, four, a four code, like one of those spin wheel numbers. Um, okay. So no battery in there. Yep. So you're able to tell them, hey, go to that lockbox, type in this, put this code in and the key will keys in there and then you can use it to get in. Got it. Yeah. And you what can about- even use... Sorry, I just wanted to mention one more thing, which is really fascinating to me. You can even use a smart lock like Slage or August locks and even soon to be used Yale. Those will integrate with Guesty for hosts. And I think some of these other platforms, if you want Guesty to change the code between every group of guests, and you can change it to like the last four of the phone number associated with their Airbnb account and send them the new code, it'll do it for you, which is super cool. That is awesome. So what about, okay. Mm, this issue, like I've um, got a plumbing issue, water, or guest report something's broken. I guess you found a local person that you just kind of call for maintenance, or is there an automated way of doing that as well? It depends on the market. Oftentimes we start with our cleaners. Hey, do you have a maintenance branch? A lot of them do, or they'll know handymen. We'll, we'll call them up and basically uh, get them to agree if they're willing to, right? To do like a monthly retainer or, hey, any issues that bubbles up, either me or a guest is able to reach out to you and we'll pay you whatever it is, 50 bucks or hundred bucks for your first hour and additional money for every other hour and, and materials so you can address any particular issue. For anything that bubbles up that's like a major plumbing or electrical thing, very rare, we'll call a plumber or an electrician to go out there. So it's good to at least have those written down somewhere. And, and you said you find these through the cleaners? You ask them if they have? have. We we'll typically start with the cleaners. Now there are companies bubbling up like Mend B&B. They're in Nashville, Atlanta, Palm Springs, California, and I think a few other markets. I'm begging their CEO to get out to like Gatlinburg or some of these other markets, but they're just having trouble scaling because they've become so busy and popular in these markets that they're already in. Mend B&B is a, I think they may get acquired by like an Amazon or something because it's not just short-term rentals. It could also be for landlords or in your own personal home. It's a hundred bucks a month. I think it depends on the size of the property, but I think it's right around a hundred bucks a month. All service fees, all services are included in that hundred bucks a month, unless it requires like a, a more serious time or repair on a specific item and they can outsource the HVAC and everything. So we use them in Nashville and guests can even reach out to them. Hey, this cabinet's broken. This is loose. It's included in the hundred bucks a month. We submit a ticket. They go out there and they address it. Um, wow. They'll do it on the spot if it's an emergency. And if not, they usually respond within 24 hours. So like fantastic service. As they scale that, they're going to be used by every short-term rental operator in the country. That's awesome. Whew. Um, that was really cool, man. There was so many tools there that can help you. I'm, I'm blown away by, by all the tools that they've launched. The pricing tool is so cool. It's like uh, having your own hotel. And like like artificial intelligence that just like dictates the prices for you. Cause I don't, I don't even know if we have that or not. I have no clue. Um, brilliant stuff. I had, I wanted to ask you earlier. I know people are watching right now and they're like, how the heck do you know, he has a course by the way. Um, and his TikTok. So your TikTok, what is your handle on TikTok? It's M Elefante six. So M E L E F. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. Please spell it. Yeah, I was going to say, because not everyone hears Elefante that often, but M-E-L-E-F-A-N-T-E-6, the number six. Yep. Um, and uh, I would, I mean, I'm going to be taking his course soon. I highly recommend everybody do it. I mean, this in and of itself was probably, not probably, this was more valuable than most courses out there. I'll tell you guys right now. So watch this again, because we went through so many of them. He dropped all these golden nuggets, all these tools that you can use. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to hand this episode to, um, to my wife and say, okay, let's go do what this is. Um, just a personal question for you. You're still pretty bullish on Fort Lauderdale. Cause I'm, I'm still thinking about getting one or two more properties there just so we can do economies of scale with all the people that we already found. Um, still like bullish on that. I am. Yeah. Long-term it's just the mark the, the market in South Florida is booming. Um, not okay. just from a short-term rental perspective, which the occupancy and average daily rates are bonkers, but the amount of people, that started visiting South Florida more than normal during COVID. It was a little bit freer of any type of local mandates and things. Um, and also the remote working that I think is going to be permanent or semi-permanent for most em- employers, employees out there. A lot of people are leaving, like I said earlier, the big cities like Chicago, New York, San Francisco, historically very high cost of living. 
And they're opting for places that have better weather, like South Florida, Arizona, even Nashville, Tennessee, Raleigh, North Carolina, where they can still make the same money and move there and and just live an awesome, I guess, life as far as like the the cost to live um, as we think of. So long-term capital appreciation, I think is gonna be steady because the demand for houses there um, and other things um, will continue. Now, I I don't know if you went out to dinner while in South Florida, but we went out to dinner on several weekdays. And I know it's typically the busier season in the winter, but we'd be out to dinner like a Monday or Wednesday night. And we'd be waiting an hour for dinner if we didn't have a reservation. And the place would be just as busy at like 11.30 p.m. on a weekday as it was at 7 p.m. It was bonkers. I was like, this is crazy. And there's traffic every day. So I was like, this place is like, it's very lively. So I can see why people, they get excited to be. Yeah, we were in Miami July of last year. And um, I thankfully, so I planned a trip. It was like six of us. And so, um, and it was, you know, it was just a trip to celebrate multiple occasions. And so I, Outside of my nature, I pre-booked all the restaurants and made reservations weeks in advance. Turns out when I got there, it's probably the best thing I ever did because otherwise we were just going to eat at a normal place. Like you weren't going to get into nice places. They got booked up. They're packed. Um, first thing I went there, I was like, there is no pandemic here. Like it, they, they totally missed the notice. Everyone is out and just living life. Um, but it was, everything was packed. So Awesome. Um, man, Michael, it has been so amazing. Everybody, um, find him on TikTok, all other social media, but also his URL. If you want to see more of what he has offered, standwith.me, standwith.me forward slash M Elefante six. All right. So that again is standwith.me forward slash M as in Michael m elefante six now we're gonna have this url in the bottom if you're watching on youtube it's gonna be in the description and if you're watching anyone else you can go to onicpodcast.com and it'll be in the show notes as well um get over there and follow what he's doing i am and i'm telling you right now um i'm really really excited about this opportunity um on airbnb and i feel like i'm a little late to the game but i'm not too late to the game and that's all that matters michael i'm gonna leave it with you any last final closing words for everyone listening no, just uh, if you have interest is for me and many other people out there getting started, whether it's Airbnb or any other type of real estate, best decision we've ever made. Um, for me, the fastest path to financial freedom is through short term rentals. And there's a way to start with every budget. So get out there and go for it. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. You guys heard what the man himself said. Go out there and go for it. So go make your dreams come true. Go make it happen. This is Onyx Gone reminding you when life pushes you, stand straight, smile, and push it the heck back. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Fighting Entrepreneur with your host, Onyx Singal.